0: Aloha and good morning. Happy Friday. We've made it through another week in the pandemic and it's so good to see all of you here this morning. Please type your questions in the comments. Let us know where you're watching from. Someone all the way from Brazil already this morning. Good morning. I'm Yanji Denise joined by Ryan Kalei Suji. You know, Ryan, we focus a lot of our discussion on Spotlight Hawaii here on the coronavirus pandemic, uh, but today we are sort of shifting gears, if you will.
1: That's right. We're talking about some of the issues as well that impact our community. And one of the hot topics right now is the future of Aloha Stadium. So we're going to spend the first half of our conversation this morning talking to two lawmakers who are addressing that. Joining us this morning from the Hawaii State Capitol is the finance chair in the house. uh, Chair Sylvia Luke is joining us, as well as the area representative of Aloha Stadium, Representative Aaron Ling Johansson, both joining us this morning. Great to see both of you. Uh, Representative Ludwig, let's start off with you um, and talking about Aloha Stadium specifically. What can you tell us about the funding mechanism for this bill, knowing that you work directly with the Finance Committee? Uh, how much is this overall going to cost the state, and what is it looking like right now?
2: I, um, thanks for having us. Um, so the, the bill that we had passed... Um, couple of years ago, uh, it provides a total of $350 million. But the $350 million wasn't just for the stadium, it was for the entire stadium district. So it involves the entire 98 acres of the stadium. So one of the goal is to leverage some of the, uh, the infrastructure and some of the development around the stadium to maximize what could be built along the stadium district.
0: And Representative Johansson, I know uh, just to give people some context here, you are uh, one of the folks behind this so-called superpower bill. Can you tell us a little bit about that um, and, and what your vision is for the future of this area?
3: Sure. I think um, uh, the genesis of this bill really is so much of Hawaii's infrastructure, the state's infrastructure artificially bisects a lot of our communities. Uh, and the area of Kuihi through Iaea is where a lot of the state's infrastructure is. and the stadium is great, but for too long, it's been sort of this this fallow property that other than games uh, and a parking lot and a swap meet, uh, it hasn't really been leveraged for uh, its maximum potential. And I think we see this, especially the area legislators and I, Senator Bokai, and I see this as a great opportunity uh, to leverage not just the stadium itself, but the entire 98-acre campus, which is a prime jewel um, that is largely undeveloped, to turn it into an additional thriving community that really does connect the edge of Honolulu, um, you know, uh, in the stadium area with IAA because for too long, they've remained sort of bisected by freeways um, and stadium parking lots and all kinds of other infrastructure.
1: So it's a real opportunity. You know, one of the things in this bill is who is actually going to be controlling it and managing the development of this area. Uh, you know, the HCDA has been involved in it. Of course, when the, these plans have came up, but now the stadium authority is the new entity that's being proposed in this latest version of the bill. Uh, Representative Johansson, who do you think should be the overall managing body of this project moving forward? Uh, should it be the stadium authority or, or should it be someone like the HCDA?
3: I think uh, this bill is honestly the best iteration that we've had where we're utilizing HCDA's developing powers and their expertise, which is the way it should be. But the governing authority as established um, would end up being the stadium authority in a similar function uh, as it does to uh, Kaka'ako, Kalailoa, and the He'ia Development District. So we're getting really the best of both worlds here, the expertise and uh, the ability to develop properly, but also, with a governance structure that takes into account the special needs of the stadium and its area. And
1: representative Luke, what about you? What do you think about the governing body of this?
2: The HCDA is the best option. Um, One of the things that Aaron worked really hard to address along with Senator Wakai is to make sure that you have community input and through the HCDA structure, you will now have um, community representatives from the area district having a say in what the future of the stadium district will look like.
0: Representative Johansson, I'm curious to know what you're hearing from your constituents. 98 acres is certainly a lot of land. Um, Of course, we're focused on the facility itself, the sports facility, but beyond that, what do you see and what have you heard from people in terms of what they want there?
3: Sure, I think like all new things, it's a mixture of excitement, but also some trepidation um, and some anxiety everybody sees the potential prospect for it and the positives that can come out of it, but people are also naturally worried about parking and congestion, entrance, uh, ingress, egress, uh, how does it all jive with existing Lower IAEA um, and, and sort of the, the edge of Honolulu Stadium, Foster Village area.
1: So it's a, it's a, it's a mix. You know, Representative Luke, obviously, this is a tough time with COVID-19 impacting the state budget and some of these larger projects uh, sometimes get put on the back burner. This seems to be a project that has support, that people feel that needs to move forward. With regards to where we're at with the state budget, where is this project in line with the priorities uh, moving forward within the overall context of where we're at with the budget?
2: Ryan, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of confusion between um, what is cash um, expenses and what is bond fund. And as you know, the stadium is really bond fund. So this is um, you know, basically taking out, uh, for instance, like taking out a mortgage. So we use the state's low credit um, um, interest rating um, and maximize that to borrow amount. So this is amount that we had already borrowed. If we don't do it, it's almost uh, wasting money. Um, So this project was already underway even before COVID and there's a commitment to continue. Um, Otherwise, you know, anytime there's a delay, you know, it will be essentially wasting taxpayers' money.
0: Let's talk about that time frame. I wondered, Representative Johansson, what is your, uh, you know, ideal outlook? I know that you know, even if you're renovating a house, let's say projects get delayed, but when you're doing something on this scale, what do you think is realistic for people to expect in terms of what what the benchmarks are for how fast this will happen?
3: Sure, I think that's an excellent question. Uh, obviously a whole 98 acres isn't gonna be developed overnight. Um, and you know, the, the stadium is sort of the anchor, uh, but the way the project is envisioned, it enables developers to see the ancillary surrounding areas with potential uh, so that They're starting to develop and also uh, you know so i I think it'll be in a phased approach but i will say uh the various governmental agencies have been doing a very good job at community outreach um, to ask people what their views should be what what they envision and i've been very pleased actually with sort of the community envisioning process as well
1: we're taking a look at some of the renderings here uh, up for uh, consideration as we look at what the future looks like for aloha stadium Representative Luke, over to you. When we, when we talk about just the longevity of this project, you know, we can see it looks beautiful from the renderings and the things that it will uh, eventually look like one day. Uh, but uh, also to talk about this timeline here, we know that these projects do take some time. Do you have any concern about just the length of time that it will take any added uh, expenses that will come up? I think a lot of people just immediately think of rail when they think of pro- pu- public projects this large. Uh, what are your concerns or what are things that could be done to help to make sure that this moves forward on a timely
2: basis? Right. So we've been pretty impressed with the progress so far. Um, uh, So just in the short period of time where we approved the funding to now consultants have already been retained and um you know the bids or requests for proposals have already gone out and the top three bidders have already been selected um so uh, you know it's it's way underway to what could happen so you know the basic time frame they are meeting it already i think one of the things that we need to make sure is as legislators and stakeholders we need to make sure that all the benchmarks and time frames are met
0: Heidi Pascoe has a question this morning. She says, will developers also assist in the expense of building the stadium? It's to benefit them. How do we make sure that, um, you know, that this is equitable and that the community doesn't end up footing the bill uh, for, for things that other people are making money on? Mm-hmm.
2: That's a really I, excellent question. Oh, sorry, Aaron, you can go first.
3: Oh, no, I was, I was just gonna say, I completely agree. And so uh, we've had a lot of discussions about you know whether or not The um, area properties and developers should be paying the equivalent of a common area maintenance fee with the stadium being uh, the common area to help maintain it. But I think where this is different from a lot of public works projects is it's not just a stadium in a silo and in a vacuum all by itself. It's deliberately paired with uh, the residential and commercial um, development so that there's incentive for the developers to have some skin in the game with the stadium as opposed to just government does it all by itself.
2: Right. So as an example, that's why we're leveraging the entire 98 acres, whatever is built on the 98 acres will help pay for even part of the stadium expenses and future operation and maintenance.
1: You know, obviously, a big utilizer or tenant, if you will, of the stadium is the University of Hawaii football team. We know that they will not have the ability to play in the stadium uh, after the ruling came down, that the stadium was not safe and that they essentially are shutting down the stadium for any future competition. Uh, Wanted to get your thoughts, uh, Representative Luke, about UH moving and playing on the Manoa campus. We know that that's going to require more funding in the long term, as well as for them to upgrade the facilities on the Manoa campus. What are your thoughts in terms of being able to support them in this effort now that they find themselves without a home?
2: Right. I think that's still far from a final decision. Uh You know, when the stadium authority made an assessment that the stadium is um, partly unsafe, they looked at the utilization of the entire stadium. But as you know, um, we have not been filling all 50,000 seats so we could, Uh, probably utilize a portion. So it really depends on what portion we can keep open uh, to allow UH football and other things to happen. So that's the discussion that we do have. I don't think it's uh, one way or another at this point. It still needs a lot of uh, further discussion between the stadium authority and UH.
0: So you're saying um, that you think that they could still actually play games there for the foreseeable future?
2: Correct. So if we were to just fix up a portion and um, fix up a portion as opposed to the entire um, stadium and then um, quarter off another section, I think that's that's a doable compromise.
1: And, and to that question though, you know, what, as we look at the building of a new stadium, uh, obviously they're not going to be able to play on that stadium if there is no Aloha Stadium because they're tearing it down and they're building another one. Uh, there was talks initially of building the new stadium and then tearing down the existing structure uh rep johansen what are your thoughts or what are you hearing in terms of the timeline of how that might be able to complement each other um you know i think all options are on the table
3: one of the things that makes that difficult is probably the most likely prime spot for the new stadium would be um, a portion of where the existing stadium is it would be moving it a little bit closer um to the rail stop so I'm not sure if those can be done at the same time, but I will say to Chair Luke's point, the field is still very usable um at the stadium and you know, uh I, I mean I think I think we have to do what is ultimately in the best interest of the taxpayer. Um and, and sometimes that means um making some hard choices.
0: Would you support then just continuing games at Aloha Stadium as opposed to spending the estimated $400,000 that the, that the university says it needs to update its facility to host games?
2: Right. So we may still need to do um, both um, because, you know, um Cookfield still needs some improvement. Um, it still needs um, um, upkeep. So it's not one way, one thing or another. We may have to do both.
1: You know, Representative Johansson, when you look at this complex in 92 acres, the impact that it could have for your community, we talked a little bit about your constituents, uh, their wants, their concerns. Uh, But when you think about it, this could be a very big piece of your district. You're, You're bringing in possible affordable housing. You're bringing in an entire new entertainment district to the area. How do you think that's going to change the landscape and just the overall personality of that community? And is that something that you're all concerned about?
3: Actually, I think it can be very complimentary. What I'm finding with a lot of the developers who are looking at sites in and around us, whether it's the cam drive-in property, everybody's looking to uh, to harness the best of IEA and the best of the edge of Honolulu, as opposed to just force-fitting uh, development model from you know, anywhere USA into this. So I actually really think it's gonna be a nice combination of highlighting IEA and the Pearl Harbor area And being very specific to that. It's not trying to compete with Pearl Ridge Shopping Center. It's not trying to compete with some of the existing things. I think it's, I think a lot of the designs I've seen so far are meant to be complementary. So I, I actually am excited about it being able to weave the fabric of community back together again.
0: What do you think this could mean for housing? I know that's the, you know, that's sort of our number one issue beyond the pandemic is housing in this community is too expensive in this state rather. Um, what kind of an impact do you think this could make on housing in general and specifically on affordable housing?
2: Yeah, um, so you know, everything is on the table. It really depends on. Um, Maximizing the use of the 89 acres and look at different housing models. Um, so there could be, um, uh, you know, workforce housing or other type of housing. One of the things that I become aware of is this IA, um where the stadium sits. It has the biggest, um, um, biggest number of um, public housing. Um, concentrated number of public housing. So I think one of the things that we are trying to do is change the whole um, dynamic of the community um, as opposed to putting more public housing in that concentrated area. It might be shocking, it was really shocking to me, but it has the biggest concentration of public housing around this area.
1: Representative Johansson, as we kind of wrap up on this Aloha Stadium, there are people who are watching and maybe live in your district that want to have a say in this or want their voices heard. How can they be involved in this process, whether it be through this bill that's going through the legislature or beyond that with just design elements? How can people or what would you recommend for people that want to get involved in this? Sure. I think the Department of Accounting and General Services uh, has been very good about putting,
3: as well as the architects, have been very good at putting on um, town halls. Certainly before the pandemic, they were in person at the stadium, and I attended quite a few. Since the pandemic, they've been uh, online. Uh, Right now, the EIS process is ongoing, so they also have a chance uh, to comment for themselves. And I know I'll be doing that as well, expressing uh, the concerns that I want to see addressed as well. So I would urge everybody uh, you know, whether it's through commenting on the EIS or a town attending some of these virtual town halls, that's your way to have a say.
1: Okay. All right. Well, Representative Erin Lane Johansson, thanks so much for joining us uh, and giving us an update. We look forward to hearing more about Aloha Stadium in the future and hopefully things move through and uh, we can finally see this project moving forward. Thanks again for your work yes. on that. Thank you both. Appreciate well, being here. Thank you. And Representative Luke, we're going to stick uh, talking with you, uh, focusing in now on the budget. What can you tell us about some of the highlights? We know that you guys are in the thick of things right now, obviously facing a lot with COVID-19 and the impact that it has had to the state budget. Recently, we heard from the governor saying that those furloughs that he was floating around might not be needed after all. Uh, What are your thoughts from that comment that he's made and overall where we're at with the budget?
2: Right. So, um, so the governor's plan uh, initially included furloughing all state employees, which includes teachers, which includes some essential workers. And those workers include um, individuals who are processing UI claims. And as you know, we continue to struggle with processing um, and getting UI payments out. Um, if we were to furlough some of those individuals, it would have devastating impact on some of our essential services. Um, thanks to the uh, most recent um, federal funding. Um, The governor has reassessed his plan and has delayed the furlough discussion until July, but he will be revisiting revisiting that issue again. Um, You know, we have always uh, insisted that furloughs of, um, you know, um, teachers and essential workers is not the best um, situation, and we will help him find a way to balance the budget without uh, major furloughs.
0: We've gotten so many questions on this program about unemployment. Um, you know, one of the big sort of problems with that whole system right now is just the mainframe uh, being completely outdated and them not being able to make the updates that they need to get payments processed. I know that um, you folks have been working on the unemployment issue just in terms of funding it. What can you tell us in terms of the latest on what's happening with the unemployment system?
2: Yeah, so it is kind of interesting. Even before COVID, we had allotted. Um, money to Department of Labor to deal with the mainframe. So um, prior to COVID uh, we provided them funding and they were about to change the mainframe and um, look at upgrading it and then COVID hit um, and then you know we had record amount of unemployed um, um, individuals. Uh, I think through this process they have learned a lot. Um, One of the um, difficult thing but the good thing is Part of the antiquated system resulted in less fraud. um, So, compared to because it's so difficult to uh, hack. um, But then, you know, part of that was it was slow in getting checks out. But then, Hawaii, uh, as far as unemployment claims are concerned, we had um, very little fraud um, compared to other states. A lot of the fraud that you're hearing right now is from the PEUC side. or side, not P-U-C, side, where it was you know, no employer verification. So it's kind of lessons learned. We can take a little bit of what we learned from COVID and how we process to really help Department of Labor to change the mainframe in the future.
1: And we know that recently the House has passed legislation that will help with just the overall unemployment mm-hmm. uh, and, and the amount of money that has been taken out and the burden that it places on employers. What can you tell us about that?
2: Right. So the unemployment fund prior to um, March had about five hundred million dollars. Um, from March to June, the entire five hundred million dollars has been depleted, um, and given out to unemployed workers. From June, July to December, the state borrowed $700 million essentially to pay for everybody's unemployment check. So all the money that um, the unemployed population is getting right now, it's uh, the amount that the state borrowed. Um, Usually in a normal setting when the unemployment trust fund is depleted, the employer gets assessed to make up that difference. Um, But as you can imagine, there is no way employers would be able to pay $700 million um, just in that short six-month period. So can you imagine the next six months will be another $700 million. So what we have done is set the schedule to Stop the assessment um, from forcing employers to make up this difference because if we don't, it will actually force some employers to go out of business. And these are not just big businesses, these are nonprofit organizations like the Y. These are um, parents and children together, you know, a lot of nonprofits plus, you know, small mom and pops. Um, So this was something that we just passed yesterday to freeze some of the um,
0: schedule. I know that you said that you want to make sure that people who are essential like teachers and other frontline workers are protected from possible furloughs. Um, Of course, everyone feels like their job is essential. So when you're trying to figure out how to balance this budget, um, of course, there have to be some tough decisions that are made. Where do you think that you'll be able to make up the bulk of of the difference?
2: So every year, about 2,000 employees in the state system retire. And through retirement, we are able to restructure. So one of the things that we will be aggressively looking at is when about 1,500 to 2,000 employees retire, that is uh, equivalent to about $130 million uh, of savings. So as opposed to filling those positions, we will continue to freeze them and then restructure. So if an agency only has now six people, out of 10, um, we have to assess whether we should combine that service with another agency, or, you know, we may have to make a hard decision to say, hey, maybe it's not something that we can afford anymore. So we will be, we are in the process of making some of those tough decisions right now.
1: You know, the governor has floated around the idea of a potential sugar tax. Uh, There's also other mechanisms to help add, of course, just additional revenue to the state budget. Uh, what are your thoughts on any sort of tax increases? Do you think that that's something that we could realistically see come out of this legislative session?
2: Right. And Ryan, that's a really good question, because I have just been alerted this morning that the governor is pulling back on the sugar tax and the barrel tax. So the barrel tax would have added to everybody's fuel tax. Um, so those are the two tax measures that he has um, submitted to or um Floated to the legislature, he is pulling back on the on the two uh, tax bills um, only because you know he he felt pretty confident that the amount that we got from the federal government should make up the difference of some of the um, tax revenues um, with the new Biden administration and how the Congress is moving. We are fairly confident that we will see additional relief and so uh, we're very mindful that we should we cannot tax ourselves out of this crisis Uh, that only hurts the low-income individuals and um, the working families so you know we are going to be very judicious in looking at um, tax uh, increases or revenues.
0: And as you try to get creative with those revenues one of the things that's been floated as it has been in years past is the idea of passing Uh, a bill to allow some form of recreational marijuana in the state, what's your, you know, how much traction is that measure getting and what's your thoughts on that?
2: Right. So for a recreational marijuana, I think even if we were to pass something, we probably won't be able to generate any any revenues for, you know, at least um several years down the line. So it, it's not something that we will be relying on to balance the budget. Um if you look back to um even medical marijuana, it took about ten years for the state to set it up. Um, so we're assuming because of the, uh, the strict federal regulation, it is going to take time for the state to set it up. So it's not something that we can count on immediately.
1: When you look at overall, just the funding that's coming in from the, uh, on the national level to support States, obviously that is helping temporarily fill in the holes for this year, but you look at the longevity of where we are as a state, uh, the decrease in tourism TAT funding, There's going to be long term effects that this pandemic has had on the overall economy and the the budget moving forward, looking in years down the line, knowing that there may not be that help from, uh, you know, congressional package or or federal relief. How do you think the state can continue to manage moving forward, uh, you know, say, two, three years down the line and making sure that we are operating uh, in budget?
2: Yeah. One of the interesting thing is that the number of individual, the number of tourists that came to Hawaii or has been coming to Hawaii has substantially increased. So even um, last year we hit record numbers of 10 million tourists. The interesting thing about that is the tourist spending has not. A proportionately increase. So there's something going on. So even if we're seeing more tourists, we're not seeing uh, increase in tourist um, spending. So one of the things that, uh, because tourists um, has impact on our natural resources and use our infrastructure. One of the things that we are seriously looking at is what's known as green fee. Um, so whether it's through rental cars or hotels or any type of tourist activity we might, or even the use of parks by tourists, um, you know, we might do more assessment and fees and so that, you know, we can, we can um, uh, export some of these um, tax uh, obligation and, you know, um, uh, use the tourism activity to support our local resources as well.
0: Okay. okay, I know our time is winding up, but I, I would love to hear from you just on a personal level, you know, governing in the midst of a pandemic. What has it been like for you and your fellow lawmakers as you navigate this? I'm sure you hear a lot of difficult stories from your constituents and you're making some really tough decisions right now. Can Can you share with us some of just how you're how you're governing day to day?
2: Right. Um one of the thing is um you know we are working very closely with the administration we actually some of um the lawmakers including myself went to volunteer at the unemployment office to process claims and we helped the governor to um allocate funds for the cares funding so we're actually doing things outside of our legislative duty um because you know I, it's basically all hands on deck right um so um you know, our responsibility has not stopped and our work has not stopped since last session and it's been going on and we will continue to do that. There are real heartbreaking stories, just kind of as an example, one of the um, budget cuts being um, proposed in the governor's budget um, is reducing, um, you know, sex assault uh, assault treatment center funding. So they would have to close their doors on weekends and um, nights and that's, you know, we cannot, have rape victims um not turn to some services so we are looking at reinstating some of these things that are being proposed for cuts
1: yeah definitely a lot of difficult decisions and and things that are in front of all lawmakers right now but thank you so much uh representative luke for taking time to break down the budget with us and talk about aloha stadium as well we really appreciate it thank you
0: thank you aloha. guys thank you, thank you. Very interesting, Ryan, to hear uh, their perspectives about, you know, governing as a whole and also some of the nitty gritty in terms of what they're looking at. Um, and also interesting to hear from both of them that they don't think that um, playing in Aloha Stadium is necessarily off the table for the University of Hawaii. We saw that article uh, in the paper this week, uh, the stadium authority basically saying you can't play here anymore. And it sounds like the legislature is saying not so fast.
1: Yeah, so we'll see what happens. I think there's a lot of discussion that needs to be had between both entities and figuring out how the existing structure of Aloha Stadium can manage and handle uh, whatever activities are held there. Obviously, right now during COVID-19, no fans are allowed really in the stands anyway. And so the team was able to participate. We saw that this past week with the Hula Bowl as well, where they utilized the field. And Rep Hansen said, the field is fine. And we saw the utilization of that. Uh, but moving forward, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic will continue out, and knowing that at some point they 're going to have to tear that stadium down and so where then does the team go? Uh, interesting to note, there was an article that 's in the paper actually today saying that uh, you know people are predicting that the stadium will be done maybe in four to five years where uh, there are others who think that this could be a project that will take ten years this will be could take a long time however, both um, you know the lawmakers that we spoke to this morning are optimistic that this thing could continue to move forward and move forward at, at at the pace in which they hope that it will.
0: Yeah I mean I think that so many people are scarred by the slow pace of rail and all the changes that we've seen there and just think you know the, the benchmarks being further and further uh, pushed back. So I think that there is some trepidation when it comes to actually setting any timelines. But 98 acres is certainly a lot of property. They're talking about, you know, expanding housing, really creating what uh, Representative Johansson called a bridge between those two areas, the outskirts of Honolulu and the outskirts of Iaea, and kind of marrying the two. When you look at some of those renderings, it is exciting to think about the potential of that area and also creating more housing that is closer to the urban core.
1: And also noting, right, that this current structure of Aloha Stadium, 50,000 seats, it's a big facility. That will be downside to, considerably to 30,000, 35,000, depending on what final drawings they go. So the footprint of the stadium, while it will be a centerpiece of that area, there are so much other things that will be happening uh, in that area as well. And so uh, interesting to hear all their comments. And thank you for those who are tuning in. We also heard from uh, representative luke who of course chairs the finance committee and she seems fairly optimistic about the future knowing as well that federal funding is helping to fill the gaps that they're seeing in the state budget for this year
0: yeah and we'll be asking the governor about all of this on monday he will be joining us we know a lot of you also have questions about unemployment um, and so we will be hearing from Ann Pereira-Estaquio the week after next, uh, and she's always a very popular guest. There's a lot of questions for her. Uh, but focusing on next week, we have the governor on Monday, Dr. Melisha, Melinda Ashton from Hawaii Pacific Health will be joining us on Wednesday. She's going to be talking about the outreach efforts that they have been making in terms of the vaccine and also just hospital capacity, sort of where we are from a hospital's perspective in the midst of the pandemic. And then, Ryan, we're talking sports on Friday next week.
1: That's right. We will be talking to, to people who are help, trying to help save our youth sports. Of course, Chad Owens, who is a familiar face for many in the community, as well as those who watch uh, his show on the Star Advertiser, as well as Representative, uh, excuse me, Co- Councilwoman Andrea Tupola, who have started this Safe Sports Initiative to help to bring back youth sports. We'll be talking to them about their efforts and what they think uh, should happen in our community to help to get children back out there playing sports. So an exciting week ahead. Uh, We thank all of you for tuning in and for being a part of the conversation. We'll see you right back here on Monday at 10.30. Aloha.
0: Aloha.